are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing, for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jason Nicholas, President and Chief Medical Officer of Prevenivet, which the name is a good indication of the mission, and we'll get into that here in a second. Dr. Nicholas, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you very much for having me on, Isaiah. Yeah, and it's certainly a strange time to be recording a podcast. It's great to have the ability to connect remotely, and I do a lot of these remotely anyways, but appreciate the time and energy. And we're both Vet Partners members. And you brought up something the other day that I actually want to kind of just dive in from the top, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Preventivet. But you were talking about the idea of pandemic puppies and some of the challenges (laughs) and issues that may happen from that. You want to kind of explain what that is? And I've heard that a lot of different clinics are seeing more and more puppies right now. Yeah, it's become a sort of trending hashtag for sure. People are, you know, we're home more often, depending on your situation, maybe you're bored, maybe depression, I think is probably setting in and mental health issues for a lot of people is setting in the longer this drags on. So I think people are thinking, oh, a puppy is the perfect antidote for depression and boredom and loneliness. And if you're around the home more often now, you know, you could be around to work on crate training and potty training and things of that nature. So it's become this trend. And there's definitely a lot of social media posts of people showing off their pandemic puppies who are all extremely adorable. But myself and a lot of other people on the profession are really concerned for a number of reasons, because although people are around more to work on the potty training and the crate training and whatnot, it's not as easy for us to get outside. And really for puppies in that imprint period up to around sort of 16-ish weeks or so, it's critically important that they meet other dogs, other puppies, other people, see things like fire engines and sprinklers and whatnot, just so they could get accustomed to these things. And there's tons of socialization stuff people could do in their homes. But the stuff with seeing other people and other dogs is really important. And without that, a lot of us are really worried that a lot of these dogs are grew up to be fearful of other people or other dogs, potentially be aggressive around other people or other dogs, just not know how to interact. And that can affect the veterinary care they receive. That can affect whether or not they could go to an off-leash dog park. That can affect whether they could go to a dog daycare, whether people can have friends and family come over their house once this is all over with. So there's a lot of concern there really behaviorally. And then for me, I even take it a step further from the standpoint of if you've got a dog, an adult dog, you could do a quick walk around your block a couple few times a day, ideally wearing a mask and keeping your own COVID risks low. But if you've got a puppy, that typically means multiple times outside for potty training. It also means multiple puppy visits to the veterinary practices to get their vaccines and their well checks. And all of those things increase COVID 
transmission risks, not just for the puppy owner, but also for everyone else in their neighborhood, the veterinary team, things of that nature. And it's the same thing, you know, puppies unfortunately get into a lot of trouble and puppies are pretty commonly suffering emergency conditions, whether it be toxicities or injuries, things of that nature. And so any unnecessary trip or a trip to the ER that you wouldn't have had to take to the veterinary ER without a puppy, again, you're potentially increasing COVID risks. And then of course, you got the concern that for a lot of people, you know, finances are much tighter now. People are losing their jobs or getting furloughed, all of these things. And so there's a concern that the puppies that are going to come through this pandemic are going to be less than ideally socialized. And many of them may wind up just being neglected or people might not be able to afford them as this lags on. So a lot of concerns with this pandemic puppy trend. And so I think for people who want furry companionship in their life throughout this, maybe rescue or foster an adult dog or look at potentially a cat so you're not having to go outside as much. I think just for people to take all these things into consideration and not do the impulsive jumping on the pandemic puppy wagon, if you will. And then from a clinic perspective, obviously social media, you can have a conversation around what they can be doing. But is there any advice or guidance that you would suggest to kind of do as an outreach to those that either already are clients of the clinic or will be in the future and just attracting those people and making sure they do get the proper vaccines and care for those puppies? Yeah. I mean, I think that anyone that has either already gotten a puppy or whether it was before the pandemic started or is considering it, I think for clinics really to do outreach, like you said, on social media and a lot of clinics do e-newsletters. And if they're not, I think they should. It's a great way to keep front of mind for your clientele, where if you've got like a practice app or something like that, you could do a push notification. So I think just making people aware that these are potential concerns and that we have to be more creative and more careful with making sure that these puppies and these kittens that are coming in now can get their vaccination series because they are still very important and that they can still get the socialization as best as they can and as safely as they can because it will benefit everybody. We do have on our website, our trainer, Kathy, has put together a great article about socializing puppies in the time of social distancing. And so we've got a great resource on the site, including a checklist of 100 things to try and ideally expose your dog to correctly in the first 100 days. Some of them, again, because of this pandemic and stay at home, are going to be a little bit more difficult than they would be under normal circumstances. But if we're creative and we're safe, I think that there's a way to do it. It's just going to be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And that's a great article to have. And we'll make sure that we share that as well with the podcast. That way people can get it. Um, great. And practices are free to share it. I mean, all of our content on the site is there for vet practices to share with their clients to help protect the pets and bond their clients. So yeah, have at it. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate that. So let's rewind a little bit. I just wanted to touch on the pandemic puppy piece of it. Tell us a little bit about your role with Preventivet and how that got started and just what that journey looked like for you and the team. I mean, most of my experience was emergency medicine. I was actually started down the path of an emergency critical care residency. But pretty early on into my career, I realized that a lot of what we see in the ER and also on emergency care in general practice is really, you know, it happens because people aren't aware of these things and they're certainly not aware of what they could do to prevent them or how devastating they can be or even sometimes how to recognize them. So it just really struck me that as much as I loved being in the ER and in the clinic and helping people when they came in with the problem, I try and be much more of a proactive person and realize that if I could help people avoid the need, prevent these things from happening, then it would be better for everyone, including the veterinary teams. And so 
back in 2011, I had the idea to start a site, start getting information out there, and then with the books. And then in 2013, we grew the team. My partner, Ann, and I joined forces and have just built the website and built the book series since then and built the team, brought on a trainer at the beginning of 2019 to really help build out that component of the education on the site. And it's been a fascinating journey. It's been really wonderful to hear from veterinary teams and pet owners who either leave comments on the blog or get in touch with us through social media channels or things of that nature. And to know that we're having an impact, like to know that we're actually having a positive impact on people's lives, either in the veterinary hospital for the teams or at their homes. And we're helping people recognize problems, prevent problems, and provide better lives for their pets. So it's been really wonderful. One of the things you just talked about was leveraging social media and kind of getting the word of what you're doing out there. I've loved just being able to follow along and see because you've done a great job at utilizing social media and having a presence there. How do you see a clinic or hospital utilizing social media best to talk about preventive education and make it interesting or fun for pet owners? Because you think about the topic and it's like, oh, this isn't necessarily the most fun thing to bring up. Like, we're going to try to prevent to make sure you don't have these issues. Like, how do you use the tools or make it somewhat educational and fun for pet owners? It is tough. I mean, we personally have a presence on many of the different social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. But we're a relatively small team, and so it's tough to be everywhere and get everything right. But I think really with social media, for us and for veterinary practices and everyone, it's really about, like everything else, it's relationships. And so building up that trust-based relationship, and you know, yeah, you've got to sprinkle in some of the fun, frivolous stuff of, I think we just recently posted something of a woman who's stuck in doing the at-home thing, and she's been styling her newfie's hair every day and posting a blog. So sharing those things to get people engaged, but also work in the stuff that's going to help people avoid problems. I think it was Toni Morrison said, we do as best we can until we know better and then we do better. So helping people learn better so that they can do better. And I think when that message is coming from their veterinarian, that's saying, this is something we're seeing a lot of. When this whole first thing started, I was really concerned for cats that were going to be becoming more stressed because their people were home more often. And for a lot of the cats, any change in their home environment can be a stress point for them. And especially with male cats, we worry about a condition called urethral obstruction or urinary obstruction. And stress is a major contributing factor, and it could be very rapidly fatal. So the concern is that this can happen. It could be devastating, both from a health standpoint and financially for people in stress. So for a cat owner to hear from their veterinary practice, whether it's they're sending it out directly or they're sharing articles or resources to say, hey, this is something that the likelihood may go up now as a result of this. And we want you to be as safe as possible. So we don't want you having to leave your home unnecessarily to go to the ER. We know that finances might be tighter than normal and urethral obstruction can be very expensive. And we want to save your cat from the pain and discomfort and stress and anxiety and potential death of this condition. Here's some awareness. Here are some things you could do in terms of enriching their environment, playing with them more, increasing their water intake, giving them wet food, making sure that you're managing their litter boxes right. There are multiple steps that we can take. And so that stuff coming from your vet, like if you're a pet owner, you can use whatever vet in your town. It's the same thing like we all drive cars or a lot of us drive cars. You know, you can use whatever mechanic. You're much more likely to choose the mechanic or the vet who doesn't just help you when a problem pops up but actually proactively helps you either avoid the problem or at least recognize it earlier. So spreading that message on social media as a veterinary practice is great because I think it really helps your clients and potential clients recognize that you care so much about helping them. 
because unfortunately this this theme that goes around social media every now and again that vets are just in it for the money and we're selfish and all this stuff. But you put this type of education out there that literally helps people avoid the need for your services in your hospital. That completely undermines that argument, like just in one fell swoop, right? Like, and it's not the truth. We're clearly not in this for the money, but this is just further proof. We vets could sit on our hands and go, yeah, let cats get stressed all they want. And let's bring in the urethral obstruction cases left and right because we'll make money. That's not what any of us are trying to do. We'd much rather avoid these problems and help people avoid them if possible. So I think sharing that information on social media and with that kind of optics and that kind of messaging, because it's true and it's honest, I think that really helps people connect with it, connect with their practice, and then share it further and wider because they want their friends and family to benefit from the same type of information. Absolutely. And I just think of the saying like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah. And anyone that is thinking that veterinarians are in it for the money and you look at all the different, all the different kind of ways you can get into medicine yeah. and think about how to make money. Being a veterinarian, I think would probably be lower on the list if money was your sole objective. Yes. Yes. And they must not talk to very many veterinarians because yeah, in all the conversations I've had, it's like, that is a lot of times the last thing on people's minds. So every time I hear that, I'm like, uh, that's probably not right. Yeah. And very few vets are raking it in. And I get it because like when you wind up in the ER and that was part of why I started this back in 2011 is veterinary emergencies are not cheap. I mean, I did my internship in New York City at the Animal Medical Center, which is an amazing hospital. But it wasn't uncommon for us to have emergencies that were north of $3,000 and even several north of $10,000. And so at three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and you're facing down this $10,000 bill and you're stressed and you're anxious and you've got to decide between keeping your lights on and paying your cell phone bill or sending your kid to college or saving your pet. That's an emotionally charged time. And so I think a lot of people lash out because all they see is the dollar sign. And I get it. We vets get it, but we're not bad people. We're not the enemy. Vets, vet techs, practice managers, the CSRs at the front desks, we are all here to try and help everybody as best as we can. And sometimes, unfortunately, our hands are tied and they are businesses as we're seeing now. We have to be able to pay our staff. We have to be able to invest in continuing education, getting the right equipment in the hospitals and feed our families, all these things, just like everybody else. So that's where things like pet insurance and third-party payment options like care credit or strike payment or veterinary billing, like there are options for people. But again, like you said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Sometimes it's worth 20 pounds of cure because sometimes the cost for the cure is so high financially, or sometimes there just isn't a cure. Sometimes even with the best medical science, we can't save some of these pets. So if we can prevent it, that's far superior. As I'm sitting here listening and I'm a veterinarian, ideally, what's the relationship that I would have with you and your team? And how do I best leverage the idea of, yeah, I like preventive education. How do I get better at it? Or how do I utilize the stuff that you're putting out? So I think one of the big things where we really focus is that unfortunately the profession for the longest time has really thought about prevention as vaccinations, parasite prevention, dentals, nutrition talks, which are all extremely important topics, but they're not the whole picture. They can't be the whole picture because that's not what pet owners think about. And that's not what impacts pet owners lives on a daily basis. So what we are in trying to encourage veterinary teams to do is to sort of broaden that definition of prevention and preventive medicine and start talking about and educating about or just providing the resources for things like poison prevention or injury prevention, preventive training and socialization, or what I tend to prefer to call proactive exposure training, stress prevention, preventing emergencies like urethral obstruction, GDV, like all of these things and financial preparation. 
So really for me, what I want the relationship for veterinary teams to be with us is A, to know that we're there, to know that PreventiVet exists, to know that we are not competitive. Our goal is not to take business from veterinary clinics and practices and hospitals and not even from emergency hospitals. Our goal is to make sure that people are as best educated as possible when they have pets so that they can either prevent emergencies or if something happens, because we can't prevent everything, if something happens, they recognize it sooner so that the cost and the prognosis are typically better and they know what needs to go to the ER or they know that they need to go to their general practice vet on a Friday morning or a Thursday afternoon as opposed to waiting until the weekend when it might just be the ER vet that's open, by which point the pet's already been suffering for longer and maybe the costs are going up. And then also making sure that they are financially prepared. So that's a big part of the relationship that I want is that I just want them to know that we're here and we're working on this collaboratively with them to help everybody. And then to know that I've been there, like I've been in the exam room, I've done the puppy and kitten visits, I've done all of these visits. And I know we want pet owners to know all this stuff. You know, if it's a cat, we want them to know about lily toxicity and acetaminophen toxicity and high rise syndrome and linear farm bodies and things of that nature and litter box management. You can't tell people in the exam room all that stuff, even over the course of three kitten visits. But you can give them a book of 101 essential tips that we've produced that people can take with them, appreciate that you've given it to them so it connects them to you and bonds them to you. And then they could go home and read a few tips here and there at their own leisure, or they could read through the whole thing. I mean, to read through the whole thing and just get that base level of awareness takes maybe like an hour, if that. I frequently tell people, especially new puppy owners, because you really don't have any leisure time as a new puppy owner, I encourage people to keep the book next to the toilet. Oftentimes, that's the only place you get any peace and quiet. So I want the vet teams to know that these resources are there for them and that they can really help not just their clients and their patients, but they can also help their business, their practices, because the better bonded a client is, the more they trust you, that you are truly out for the overall well-being and health and happiness of their pets and their family the better client they're going to be, the longer they're going to stick with you. Client retention is going to be improved. And then also new client acquisition because they're going to love you so much that you're giving them this type of preventive education that whenever a friend or family locally gets another pet and they're asking for a recommendation on a vet, they're going to talk you up like mad. And personal recommendations are the best, you know, word of mouth is the best reference that you could get. So there's a big chunk of your marketing done. And we're in a service business. The goal of preventive that the goal of the education we're getting out there is to literally help all stakeholders in this. And a big part of that is helping vet practices provide the best service for their clients and build their practices. Do you have any, I guess, feedback or case studies or examples of a clinic that has utilized the 101 books that you kind of just mentioned there and what that's done for their either client base or referrals or any of that stuff. And I know sometimes it can be really hard to track like, oh yeah, we gave X amount of people these books and this is all the stuff that came back. You might not know that's the trigger of why they're talking about your clinic, but anything that is top of mind or a good example that you've seen? Yeah. I mean, we've gotten great feedback from veterinarians, from techs, from practice managers. One of the biggest things that we hear, because like you said, it is really difficult to track correlation versus causation. And also it's difficult to know what you're preventing because people don't realize it's been prevented. I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? But one thing that we've heard a lot from a lot of veterinary teams is that it helps to make them more efficient in their puppy and kitten exams. And that's crucial. Again, I've been in the exam rooms and you want to provide all this information and it could be really difficult to even try. But if you know that you're giving them this broad base of education and they're able to leave with it, 
And then they come back on, say, the second puppy visit, and they're asking you about maybe pet insurance, or they're asking you about when is the right time to spay and neuter, or they're asking you about parasite prevention, or they're asking you about their dog's risk for heat stroke, because they realize after reading the book, they've got a little Frenchie bulldog puppy, and they're concerned about that. So when we hear from vet teams that it's making them A, more efficient, and B, it's helping to initiate conversations, like the pet owner is coming in and initiating conversations that the vet wants to have, like things about vaccinations and pet insurance, it makes it so much easier because it's not a sale. Like you're not trying to sell them on pet insurance, they're coming and asking about it, or you're not trying to sell them about pre-anesthetic blood work when it comes time for a surgery because they've already read about the benefits of it, and maybe you've already had that conversation. So to hear from veterinary teams that they're having easier puppy kitten visits, they're having better conversations, they're having clients who are better educated in terms of caring for their pets. And then when you layer on, especially on the dog side, that because we're big proponents of socialization and proactive exposure training, when you hear about dogs that are coming in later that have had better socialization and initial training, and they're easier to handle in the clinic, and it's less stressful for everybody. That's the goal that we're really looking for. And we've gotten a ton of feedback on that. Yeah. When you have an informed consumer coming in and asking good questions, it's so much more fun, I would think, than trying to convince them that they actually need to listen to this. Because again, they come in, they have that appointment, their mind's going all these other directions of what they're doing after and this and that. Yeah, they're trying to focus, but maybe it doesn't sink in as much as like you talked about, if they're reading it on their own and absorbing it, coming in with, oh, I didn't notice this or I have a question. That would be a much different experience to where they're going to be a lot more engaged and locked into whatever you're saying as well. They're going to hear it because they want to know versus you trying to convince them that this is important to know and remember. Totally. And they're going to retain it. One of the things that we did with the books is that every page, every tip has its own web page on the password protected book extras. So if there's a tip that a client's reading about, whether it be on the toilet or not, and they're interested, let's say it's heat stroke or let's say it's xylitol toxicity in dogs, they could go to the book extras site and they could look on the xylitol page. And there's a bunch of articles or videos that we've written or that we've curated. So if they want more information, they could get that information. And again, that can make the conversation better with the vet. So it's kind of like this whole ecosystem for them, really. And really the goal is is education. I mean, all of us vets, we want A, clients. We want clients that know their stuff. Like we want clients that get it, that get that we are trying to help them and their pets, but also that get what qualifies as the best care for their pets, like what's important and how they can avoid even just something as simple as not feeding your dog the table scraps when you come home from a steak dinner, because then they come in with pancreatitis a day or two later, three days later, and you're having to have this conversation with the clients who are stressed because you're giving them a quote for, you know, anywhere from 500 to $3,000. We want to have those conversations proactively so that people are avoiding those issues and Vets all appreciate that. Vets and vet techs all appreciate that. Yeah. And I think it'd be a great way to position as I'm just listening and thinking about it more, position it from the veterinarian side. When you give that book to someone and say, Hey, I know that you have a lot of things on your plate, but this book could save you thousands of dollars (laughs) of the life of your pet. I care about you. I care about your pet's name here. I love seeing you, but I don't want to see you that much because I don't want to see you in an emergency situation. So this will help prevent that. And we can make sure that they are around for as long as we can do this together. And yeah, that relationship and that bond should be so much stronger than just say, hey, take care and they're coming back and they always just think of going in as something's wrong versus going in for preventative or just checkups. Right. Just saying, hey, I know we need to come in for a checkup. I love the way you put that. I love the way you said that as far as 
I care about you and I want to see you, but I don't necessarily want it to be on an emergency basis. Like I want it to be a casual conversation and a annual visit or whatever. There's also the case because we are also members of the Vet Hospital Managers Association. Of course, like I said before, like vet practices or businesses, we all talk about like when we look at marketing, how do we get more clients in? How do we get more pet owners in? How do we get more pets in? And that is important. But there's also this idea of attrition and client and patient retention. And so if you've got a lab, let's say you've got a brand new lab puppy coming in your practice. Now, average life expectancy anywhere from, let's say, 12, 13 years, let's just call it, right? So that's 12, 13 years of preventive care, vaccines, parasite prevention, dentals. It's a lab. So unfortunately, it's probably going to become obese. It's probably going to have arthritis. It might have allergies, so ear infections. It's 12, 13 years of treating all of these things. If that lab dies at, say, a year old because of xylitol toxicity, or because it wasn't socialized or trained and it gets hit by a car, or it gobbles down some rat poison, even just from an economic standpoint, like taking away the whole ethical and health and safety, we've taken an oath to protect pets. You've just lost anywhere from 12 to 13 years of revenue from that patient. And it's possible some people, when they lose a pet, they don't ever get another one. And if it's something that was preventable and they're sad because or they're frustrated or angry because their vet didn't warn them about it, even if they do get another pet, they might be going to a different vet. So just the idea of keeping patients alive for longer and healthier is a revenue generating tool for practices. Yeah, you can absolutely think about it as a cash flow that's a much smoother ride as far as the revenue per client versus maybe one big expense and then also no more because maybe even if they do come in and they pay for it, it doesn't work out or that pet does pass away. Like that is a dramatic experience. Like you said, they may never want to go back because it's just something that I don't want to deal with that again, or it was too expensive. And yeah, I will not get a pet because of X, Y, or Z. And they're probably going to tell other people and they're like, oh, where'd you go? And yeah, you don't want your name associated with that memory <laughs> right. versus the great care and guidance. And at the end of the day, me as a consumer as well, I'm not a veterinarian. I want someone to tell me, I want the advice and guidance of someone that has all the training to tell me. And if they can have a good resource, no one has appointments that are that long to sit through and go through, okay, these are the 101 things, right? That might be great. And there might be a couple people that would want that and pay for it. Yeah. Most are not. We're all too busy. Yeah. We want something that we can digest and understand in our own time. Yeah. And it's better for them to get it from that way than go to Dr. Google and try to read through things that aren't maybe factually correct. And then you can kind of defend that off by if you're providing that up front. So I love it. Yeah, it's a very proactive approach to it. And we're not looking to reinvent the wheel with Google. I mean, and I always joke, I am literally just trying to give Dr. Google an actual veterinary degree. And there are a bunch of other vets out there who are writing great content and even non-vets. I mean, there's plenty of technicians who are writing great content. So we also just try and help curate Dr. Google, if you will, for veterinary teams, because look, I'm guilty of it myself. If I have a problem with my car, or if I've got a question about something with my apartment, or if I've got a travel question, whatever, I'm going to Google. Like we all do it. We just have to harness that and realize that that's where people are. So let's be there with them and let's help them find reliable information because that's the way to combat the bad information that's literally just looking to sell something that could wind up actually being quite dangerous. Because I've definitely seen dangerous pet advice on the internet. And it breaks my heart because if that's a company that's spending a lot of money on SEO or a lot of money on marketing, or they've got a really pretty looking UX on their site, they're going to be tough to compete with. And now you're going to have more pet owners getting bad advice that's potentially dangerous to them, to their pet, to their neighbors, to their kids, to whomever. And so it's a hard battle, but it's one worth fighting. Absolutely. So when you think about the 
Preventivet story and the journey you've had, is there any memory or moment that sticks out the most just from beginning to kind of where you are today? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. That's kind of an easy question for me. Year one, no, I guess it was 2012. So year two, the first comment I got on the one of the main conditions that I started this to try and help people prevent is urethral obstruction or urinary obstruction in cats. And so I have a three-part article series on that. And the first comment I got on that, that was somebody who recognized their cat was going to the litter box more frequently, straining, vocalizing, things of that nature, which are all pretty classical signs of a urinary obstruction in a cat, especially a male cat. But they didn't know what was going on. So they did what most people would do. They went to Google. Fortunately, my article popped up like on page one, I think number one or number two. And within like the first paragraph of that article, that first article says, if your cat is doing all the things that their cat was doing, straining in the box, going frequently, vocalizing, shut down your computer, go immediately to the vet because it's a good chance it's a urethral obstruction and that can be pretty rapidly fatal. Once they're stabilized, come back and you can learn more about it. And that's exactly what they did. The cat fortunately survived, did well. A couple of days later, this person came back and left a comment on the site saying that the ER vet told me that had I waited much longer, my cat probably wouldn't have survived. So thank you for writing this article that helped me save my cat's life. And I was like, that's awesome. Like for me, that's it. Because in the clinic, and I've worked in some pretty busy hospitals, but in the clinic, I could at most interact with at most probably like 30 to 35 patients and clients a day. And that's a pretty crazy day. Online, we're reaching tens of thousands of people every day between the articles and the books and everything, tens of thousands of people. So that was kind of just the first thing to say, okay, this is having a real world impact. And then honestly, the second moment that I always think about is back in 2013, when I first published the first edition of the Dog Health and Safety book, the day I got the shipment of books from the printer and held the book in my hand for the first time, it just made it all feel real. And that a resource had been created to really help veterinary teams help their clients and help their patients and help their teams. So those are kind of the two biggest moments for me. Absolutely. And getting a comment like that, like the motivation and the desire to keep going forward and doing what you're doing and develop it like that, that gives you a solid good six months of motivation. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a lot of challenges and things yes. that you're like getting ticked off about, Yeah, man, I got a really good comment. Like I'm good. And I remember I had someone randomly reach out that they listened to this podcast, never met him before, yeah. have not talked to him since, but just like, hey, thanks. I really enjoyed episode whatever. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome Thank awesome, you right? so much. Like, you know, it's resonating with um, people and that's why you're doing someone it. Listen, that's yeah, great. Totally. <laughs> yeah. What do you think from a preventive side is the biggest challenge today? What is holding people back from truly getting to a lot of the things that we talked about of getting to the space where you have this great relationship? You have the information and knowledge out there. What's holding people back or clinics? Well, I think one of the biggest things is really just bandwidth and cutting through all the noise. For us, it's really people and vet practices knowing that we're here, knowing that the books exist, and knowing that they can help and knowing the impact that they can have. So that's a huge one. And so we're working on that. We try and actively market, especially to vet practices, because that's kind of our ideal distribution is through vet practices because it helps the vet teams, it helps the vet practices grow and helps the people and their pets. So getting through the noise is a big part of it. But then the other thing is really on the other side, on the sort of action side is for pet owners, is for us to all realize that everybody's got different stuff going on in their lives. They've got different challenges, things of that nature, same in vet practices and recognizing that they need awareness they don't need everything about everything at once. They just need some awareness that can get them thinking about it. 
And so recognizing that people are trying to do the best they can, and it's really our goal and our job to help them as much as we can. But not everything is preventable, and things are going to happen, and veterinary teams are there, either in the general practices or the emergency hospitals, to help people when issues do arise. Makes complete sense. You can only do so much. There's going to be a certain responsibility on both yeah. sides or people getting the book and actually reading it and not just saying, oh, that's great. And it's in a bag and it's in a drawer somewhere right. or, you know, it's buried. They have to take the time to understand that. But hopefully someone that's excited about that can say, Hey, I have this new pet. I want to make sure I take care of him or her as best as possible and yeah. spend the time to do it. And it's out of your hands as the veterinarian at that point. If you're doing that, you're putting your best foot forward and you can know that if something does come back, that was preventable, you tried. Because right. I think so much, and one of the big things that I've learned talking to enough people is how much stress is carried from the veterinary side. And you talked about like costs, when things do cost a lot, because you have to run a business that's profitable. And right now is a great example of you want to have some extras in reserve if things are slower or you have a pandemic that closes your practice or is operating at limited capacity. So you want to be able to do the right thing and sometimes it's going to be expensive and you shouldn't have to carry the burden that, oh, I should discount it or, oh, I should do things for free or test for free. No, you're trying to do as much as you can. And if that's part of it, then you should do it. Again, I love <laughs> It's almost like we scripted this, but we did it. <laughs> this could have been better if we did. Like what you said, really, with we as vets, we've done our job if we've given people the information. And that's something that really took a little while to kind of click for me in practice because we vets and like, veterinary technicians, we veterinary teams, like we are experts in this, right? Pet care and pet health and pet safety. And so when things come in like urethral obstruction or like lily toxicity or like GDV, gastrodilatation volvulus or bloat or pancreatitis or like a broken tooth from someone giving their dog a bone or an antler or something like that, we think, gosh, this is so common. How do people not realize that this is an issue? But then when you stop and you take a step back, you go, oh, wait, it's common for us. Like we see umpteen million of these cases every year. But for these people, this is potentially their first pet. And so having a dog isn't intuitive. In fact, sometimes it's counterintuitive. And so realizing that everybody's an expert in what they want to do or what they do, and then recognizing that as the experts in our field, our job is to provide that information and that awareness. Let's make this quote unquote common sense actually more common amongst the general pet owning population. And then yes, once we've done that, we have done what we can do. Like we have led them to water. We can't force them to read it. Fortunately, we get a lot of feedback from people that they read the whole book and that they refer back to it months later. So I do believe that we've created a resource that encourages people to drink the proverbial water once their vet has led them to it. But our job is to give them a fighting chance. And if we can do that, we can rest more comfortably knowing that we have tried our best and that we're there for them in a crisis. And also recognizing that part of what we're trying to as veterinary professionals raise awareness of and increase uptake of is financial preparedness. So pet insurance and third-party options. So that way, if something does happen and it comes in and it's very costly for the pet owner, they've ideally already got a financial plan. They've hopefully already got pet insurance or whatever. So they could be like, yeah, three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, I'm looking at a $5,000 foreign body surgery for my dog or my cat. I wasn't expecting this to happen, but I'm prepared because I've got insurance on them, please go ahead and give them the best care you can. And so now you've got the vet team not having to go, oh, I need to discount this, or I need to do it on the cheap, or I, or I need to skip the surgery and try and manage this conservatively, which probably isn't going to work, and it's going to cause the pet to suffer. So it's really, like you said, we've got to do our job. We've got to make sure people are aware. And then there's that responsibility on the pet owner side 
to put that into action, but then also recognizing that in some cases, things are going to happen and we're there and everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got. That's what Brene Brown, right? Like everybody's doing the best they can with what they got. Let's just try and give them as much as we can and hopefully they'll do as well as they can. And then we'll deal with whatever fallout should it happen. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges is sometimes caring maybe more than what the owner cares about their own pet. And I've heard that a couple of times where they're like, eh, you know, you know, I can't do that or I won't do that. And, you know, someone else might, you personally as the veterinarian might care more in that introduces its own challenges. But yeah, thanks for expanding on that and sharing a little bit more. Cause again, your perspective is definitely more in line as someone that's actually done it, where mine is much more hearing from other people all the time. It's just what I've heard and how I can think about it personally. And I can think of examples of how that impacts being in a daily life and different things that go from that perspective. But as we wind down, I want to be thoughtful of time. I always ask, and I love this question because it's always interesting where people take it, but how do you define success personally and professionally? I'll let you take it however you want to. Well, so personally, professionally, I mean, the two are very intertwined for me, perhaps unhealthily. So (laughs) I've poured everything of me into preventive vet. I really did a major pivot when leaving my residency to try and be more proactive than reactive. So the two are definitely very much connected. That said, I'm working at getting that better work-life balance. And so for me, personal success really is being around for, and this was important to me early on, being around for and having a great relationship with my daughters who are now eight and 10 years old and just such a huge part of my life. And that's been mission critical for me from day one. And then really personally, just knowing that I'm making a positive contribution to the world, I'm having a positive impact. So whether that be with my family or with what I'm doing with preventive vet or with people I meet on the streets or people that I interacted with in the clinics or friends, whatever it is, just making a positive impact and hopefully slowing down and enjoying more of life and finding some more of those escapes. That to me would be personal success. And then professional success really is just knowing that we're helping as many veterinary teams and as many pet owners all around the world. Because that's one of the beautiful things about the internet is that we've got a following in Australia, in the UK, throughout Europe, pretty much everywhere. So knowing that we're helping veterinary teams and pet owners all around the world provide the best health, safety, and lives for their cats and dogs would be success. Just knowing that we are having the impact, we're cutting through the noise, we're getting known about and we're helping people. And I guess in all honesty, because it's, you know, one of the main reasons why I started the Preventive Vet is if I could wipe urethral obstruction off of the map entirely, if I could just completely eradicate that as a condition that plagues cats, male cats, and people who own male cats and veterinary teams, that would be a monster win for me. <laughs> I don't see it happening to completely eradicate it, but if I could make it far less likely to happen, if I could help people recognize it earlier, that would be job well done. I appreciate that. And your comment about a global audience, I think that is amazing just from the standpoint of how the internet makes the world much smaller and how connected we are today. For those that are listening that want to learn more, check out the books, read the stuff that you're publishing, where would you send them? Where can they connect? So our main site is preventivevet.com. And then from there, yeah, they can go to our store and check out the books and get the books. We also have actually a stick replacement because throwing sticks and letting your dog chase and chew sticks is quite dangerous as all of us ER vets have seen. So we've got a stick replacement there that's much safer. Then we've got our articles and some videos and some graphics that people can share as far as spreading awareness of lily toxicity, heat stroke, xylitol toxicity. And then on social media, come join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. We're all over the place. And then 
Same thing for vet teams that are interested in having the books, either to sell in their practice or the giveaway in their puppy kitten packs. Same thing on preventivet.com. They can see more about the books. Click on for veterinarians. There's even a form they can fill in to get preview copies. And then the books are available for vets in bulk also through AHA, American Animal Hospital Association and MWI. So that's where we live. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate the time and love the mission that you're on and look forward to seeing more growth and impact that you're going to be able to make. Thanks so much, Isaiah. This was fantastic and an absolute pleasure and joy for me to just sit and chat with you. This is nice. Absolutely. Take care. You as well. Thanks for listening to today's show. All comments made on today's show should now be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. Dan Routh is employed by Old Peak Finance and is a registered investment advisor in the state of North Carolina. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is predominantly the platform that is how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest rating and review. That will help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and have the ability for your voice to be heard, join the private Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom section where it says about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can let you join the group and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening. and I'll be talking again to you soon.